Okay, welcome back. We are continuing on with Chapter 6 of Once Upon a Rhyme. Chapter 6, Ready for Bed. Had enough, sir? Oski peeked into the game room, finding Turbo still entranced in the John Madden version of the Super Bowl, headset on, laughing with unseen friends from across town or across the planet. There was no difference anymore to kids his age. Five minutes? Turbo's expected reply defied the technology around him. No matter how perfect, science will never change a kid's desire for extended playtime. To infinity if possible. Sleep and the next day of school be damned. Deal. But no overtime. CP's waiting. Oski had to get Turbo in the bed for the new week of school, but also had to get home to give their dog, CP, a needed bathroom break. CP was Oski's third mini schnauzer following Mia, their family dog while growing up, and Cash, whom he had inherited from Pookie ten years ago. CP was short for colon parentheses, another Hollis nickname representing his favorite old-school smiley face emoji, and also the smile the pup had given to Oski and Turbo as a gift last Christmas. I'll meet you out front. Don't forget to thank Miss Baker. Oski bid his own farewell to Linda, gathering the limerick book, her required hug, and his fair share of meatballs for the road. The typical side hug for Mary Beth, a man hug for DJ, and a head nod to Stephen. And with one last grateful look at his remaining extended family, he was out the door. Turbo raced through, moments later, trading a hug to Linda for a sampling of meatballs, each feeling he or she had gotten the better end of the transaction. You going to be okay for practice in the morning? Oski, like many parents on the way home or to school or to events with their kids, had wasted words. Ever busy in attempting to manage their own stress, parents unknowingly call out to their kids for reassurance. He didn't truly doubt Turbo's lack of sleep affecting his energy or enthusiasm. He was simply second-guessing his decision to let Turbo stay up late on a school night, even though he had known it was the right thing to do just a few hours earlier. Dad, came Turbo's moan from the back seat. Parents hoped for a verbal hug from their child in that moment, but instead the child stiff arms the perceived nagging. Kids spot nonsense on sight, even as they can't appreciate the reasons for what they see, and no one hugs out of exasperation. Oski managed to control any further compulsion to annoy for the three-block trip home across Woodmarsh. They made it inside to the delight of C.P., who hopped and squealed until the urge to pee outmatched the urge to be petted. He skipped off the porch to the front yard while Turbo headed to brush his teeth and get ready for bed. The adrenaline of the day, Hollis's house, Newberry's, the Baker Mansion, the Super Bowl, and endless cereal had left fatigue in its wake, the kind of fatigue kids know and feel no nagging required. Oski milled quickly, gathering the team's gear for the morning practice and casting a quick eye to ensure Turbo's glove and bat bag were by the front door, too. He climbed the stairs toward Turbo's room, CP bounding before him two steps at a time. The pup paused at the hallway bathroom, pointing at Turbo brushing his teeth. Oski passed, and Turbo uttered some indiscernible, encumbered, tongue-tied, scrubbing sound of a question. The only proper reply was laughter, for the three seconds Turbo could hold closed his mouthful of goo, and for the full minute after he barely splattered it into the bathroom sink. Oski giggled on toward Turbo's bed to turn it down. 
His feet gripped the carpet in the familiar house he'd grown up in, and he could still pick any of their favorite books from the shelves lining the hall without looking. After Annie's death, Hollis had held on there until Oski and Belle left for college, but then the size of the house and the memories dwarfed his spirit. Hollis had moved back downtown into the Second Street house, which he had kept as a rental. To Oski's good fortune, the Whitmarsh home stood empty until his prodigal return for Pookie's funeral ten years ago. Now here he was, in the same house, performing Hollis's same late-night milling and hovering, and ushering both Sun and Schnauzer to sleep just so they could rise early for a ten-year-old travel baseball team to get an hour of gym time for throwing, soft-toss batting practice, and infield grounders before school. Oski in his twenties may have never even thought of coming back to Wilmington, far less ever want to, but now at 40, he had turned into Hollis Jr. By the time Turbo belly flopped into the sheets, Oski was already kneeling bedside and CP already rooted comfortably with eyes dimming into the adjacent pillow. The clock had crossed 11 p.m. and though Oski cherished those sleepy moments as sacred as a chance for nightly nourishment between father and son, another of Hollis's hand-me-downs. This wasn't a time for a fireside chat. You want to give me that again? Oski invited Turbo to restate his bathroom question, this time sans toothpaste. He kissed Turbo on the forehead. Make it quick tonight, sir. You know it's late. Turbo smiled, eyes heavy and half-closed. I was asking whether you think I am as good as you were when you were age 10, or Coach D. That's not exactly a soup question, sir. Oski's term came from Finding Forrester, a favorite movie of his and Hollis's while growing up, a non-soup question being one that sought information irrelevant to the Inquisitor, one not geared to anything useful. In essence, he was politely pointing out that the question was not your concern, or if more adamant, none of your business. You know it's always best to be yourself in this world. Still, Oski smiled when he said it, fully aware that Turbo was hoping himself a future Oski, the same way Oski had eventually become, in part, former Hollis. A father cannot help but smile at and share such a dream for his son. And despite the late hour, he would gladly think, outside the bowl of soup, with Turbo on this one. Dad, Oski chuckled at Turbo's sleepy sigh, the proper reply yet again to his unnecessary parental qualifier. He knew to just answer the question, but dads, and especially coaches, never stop planting seeds. You're part me and Dee, I think, and likely the best parts of both of us. I was always steady and calm under pressure, and I know Coach D may play around with you, but as a player, he was always the toughest. Showed no fear and gave no breaks to anyone. And you think that's me? Even a tired 10-year-old could catch a compliment. Can be. It's not that I didn't feel pressure or that Coach D didn't feel fear, but we learned to do our jobs anyway, like you do. Oski closed the comment with a second kiss to the head and a tug of the sheets, and Turbo closed his eyes contently, the way anyone can when trust allows him or her to turn off all defenses. Oski loved the way Turbo could sleep and loved to watch him, feeling lucky to have a son. You know, Oski stopped at the doorway, his affection torn between the benefit of Turbo's sleep and planting yet another seed. You actually resemble my friend Pookie most of all, the way you move and play and even sometimes the way you act. You never got to meet him, but he was our best player. What position did he play? 
Turbo's lips managed to mumble while his eyelids failed to move anywhere he wanted. He led and we followed. Oski flicked off the light, allowing Turbo's toothy grin to glow in the dark. Back downstairs, Oski settled into the living room recliner where he would often wind down with his thoughts of the day. Single dads sleep in recliners or on sofas, even on the floor, with muted ESPN highlights to wash away the loneliness. Perhaps it was the limerick book in his lap or the now half-down bourbon in his hand, but Oski's mind skipped between memories to beat the coming sleep the way a coin bounces across a pond before finally sinking below. He pondered his old friend Poogie, he of the dominant talent and personality that Turbo, had he known him, would have idolized like everyone else had. Pookie was modern-day Midas. He never worked out, never studied, and at least outwardly never seemed to care to be perfect, yet when it came to grades and games, perfect he was. Only Pookie seemed capable of blowing everything off the night before, then laughing while blowing away the competition the next day. Vintage Pookie called his shot, delivered the home run, tossed the bat boy a souvenir, winked at the blushing girls behind the dugout, high-fived the coaches with gratitude, and made the rest of the team feel equal to him and won it back, even by the age of 12. His smile was bright and real, and with him, teammates stood a little straighter, feeling invincible. His scorebook position said pitcher and catcher, but if you ask him, he threw smoke and hit dingers. And if you ask a raving Hollis, Pookie set the example of combining the three necessary bones of any young man. The wishbone, have a vision, the backbone, work hard, and the funny bone, enjoy the ride. Pookie's big stick and smile had carried their travel team, then his high school team, and then the label of Oakland A's draft pick before his ride sadly ended. From that end, Oski's mind's eye gravitated to Linda, the mother Pookie had left behind, and Annie, the mother Pookie hopefully had gone to find. Oski had adored Annie, whose surviving spirit via her portrait on the wall easily invaded his mind even after 25 years of absence. With her work somewhat hidden in Hollis's shadow, Annie had also given her whole heart, guiding kids to the Boys and Girls Club, counseling clients on mental health, and loving Oski and Belle before that heart just gave out one afternoon on the way home from work. Years before Annie's death, a preteen detail had grown close to her, with a faded connection to his own mom, last seen fleeing drug rehab, and his dad yet to be seen at all, Dite's steely resolve matched up with Annie's magnetic strength. He followed her path into counseling and teaching to have a similar impact on others. But she would always be Oski's mom, always a soothing presence and always an agonizing absence. His thoughts automatically ricocheted from such hurt to the comfort of Linda, Oski struggled to feel deserving of one good mom, let alone two, but he smiled knowing he and Dite had shared them both. While Oski and Dite had shared moms, Pookie seemed to shun such mothering from an early age. Children are so eager to meet and experience and be fulfilled by the world that they often run right past their parents. Like running to friends on the school bus and forgetting their backpacks are full of homework. Kids see all their wants and are blind to their needs. Fingering the next limerick, slowly drifting to sleep. Oski could clearly see Hollis walking into fifth grade homeroom, bringing a forgotten backpack to Oski's 10-year-old self. Journal, page 19. You look out to a curse of many options, so many impossible choices from where you sit. Nothing is harder to bear than your freedom, 
You fear being weightless, but still must say yes to it. And in limbo, a buoy or pose for gravity you cannot invent. So you stay moored to what you know, to your lovers, your friends, and your parents. Life gives you the path to all your hopes and dreams, but it also takes them away, lest you know where you fit. Whereas Oski and Dite had run into the arms of Linda or Annie, respectively, the group lacked a third mom to complete the boy's sacred hoop and to nab Pookie as he ran off to find his life. Instead, Pookie got mothered by fame, by the flock of followers who cheered but never loved him, raising him up addicted to adoration. As with the latest designer drug, social media platform, or even those first all-night text replies from a new infatuation, each hit or like or ding of the phone brings a transient high. Eventually, though, the coke, the crowd, or crush subsides, casting the addict afloat without his or her fix, and a hero like Pookie is left hollow. There was just so much loss to trace that day, Oski thought. He would be sad about it one day. Maybe he would even cry about it. But tonight he was running on empty and just too tired, and he sank into sleep. Okay, that's a wrap for chapter six. Oski has bourboned himself to sleep after a tough day, and uh, we've now identified uh, the three deaths in the book. His best friend, his mom, and now his dad. Uh, talk to you soon.